Thank you very much for having me along. I spoke here a long time ago. Could be 15 years, I don't know. But I'm sure it's 10 years since I've been here. So uh, it's great to come along. I was flying down the road thinking I was late. And I was late, but I think it was maybe one of the earliest here. So it wasn't, I wasn't as uh, bad a shape as I thought. Um, anyway, lovely to be along. I want you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 13. So as you're doing a series in the parables, I was glad to hear Stephen Moffat isn't going to speak on the same parable because he might have had to sort out a few things I, I'm going to say. Um, but he's thankfully doing a different one. Uh, so the one I'm looking at tonight is in Matthew chapter 13. So let's read verses 45 and 46 in Matthew chapter 13. simply says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I want us to think a wee minute about this and just think yourselves or, or talk to the person beside you just for 30 seconds or so about what we've just read here. Um, who is it that we've just read about in this very short story? So take 30 seconds and just have a wee think. Feel free to talk to someone beside you, think about yourself, and then we'll, we'll go a wee bit further with it, okay? No, right, let's, let's go on. Um, I just want to throw out a couple of possibilities and then we'll get into the study. This, this merchant, maybe he's the man who spends his life looking for satisfaction, looking for gain, uh, and he seems to be doing well. Like he's, he's, he's a job as a, a merchant and sounds like he's making a living from it, but something has captivated his heart. This great pearl, um, and he's willing to sell everything to buy it. And so, yes, it, it can explain um, this being like a person who has... Uh, seek satisfaction in the world, whether that's fame or popularity or status, but then finds Christ and is so captivated he is willing to give all that he has to cling to Christ. Or maybe another possibility, is this merchant Christ himself? The kingdom of heaven is like Christ himself who comes looking for his people and when he finds them, he gives up his heavenly home, sells everything, and he buys the church for the price of his own life. A couple of things there um, that it could be, um, and I'll maybe come back to that. You see, I gave tonight's sermon the title of A Peculiar Parable, and this is a peculiar parable, not just because of the options we've, we've laid before you tonight, but when we compare it even to the one before, if you look at verse 44, it says there, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. This man found treasure in a field and realizing the value of it, he goes and buys the field. And I suppose I'm thinking, at least he's got a field here. Now, I'm not sure if that's the farmer in me thinking it's, it's good to have a field. At least he's somewhere to, somewhere to live. He's somewhere to call his own. He's something to live off. But this peculiar parable we're looking at tonight is about a man who sells everything just a pearl. And in a way, all the parables are peculiar, you could say. They're all kind of peculiar. Um, and we look at them and we think, what do they mean? How do I read this? Who has it been talked about? And what are the details of it? So I'm going to come back to those two options I'd laid out uh, later on. But what I want to do is, if you like, put this text 
in context. I'm sure you've heard people talking about that, or you hear it in school. You have a text, and you put it into context. It's like it's like viewing it, and then viewing it in like high resolution. So that's what we want to do. We want to put it in context. You see, this parable is it's like a great little nugget, if you know what I mean. Um, you can read two verses, and you've got a full story. Um, just those two verses talks about a businessman. He's looking for great pearls. He finds this really good one. He buys it in the end. It's a brilliant story. It sort of it reminds me of my essays in English in school. I just got to the point, wrote it all down, and then got back out to play football because that's what I was there to do. Um, but my English teacher didn't really see my point in that. But that's that's what we love about these wee stories. They're so short and quick to read. But the meaning of this parable is so much more than the thirty odd words that we've just read. Let me give you another illustration. Um, I'm not sure if anyone here plays a, a musical instrument, but if you've ever heard uh, a great pianist or maybe a great violinist, um, you listen to them play their instrument, and it sounds beautiful. Uh, the, the, the music is right, the tune is right, the timing is right, and it's just lovely to listen to. But have you ever heard a full orchestra with that violinist? It's even better. It's richer. If you imagine that violinist and maybe there's eight of them all playing violins and then there's maybe a hundred people in the full orchestra all playing and as you listen to them, it's rich, it's beautiful. It makes the hair and your, your arms stand up. Um, it's amazing. And that's what I want you to think about when you think about a parable. On its own, it's like a little nugget. But when you put it in the context of the chapter, of the book, you get the full orchestra of what it's of what it's all about. And we want to do that tonight, put in the context of the chapter and the context of Matthew as a whole. So let's step back from this particular parable and think about parables generally. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Because sometimes we kind of miss the point in parables. We um like we're at the start we're saying, Who is this merchant? Is it is it me? Is it Jesus? Is it neither? Is it somebody else? And it'd be really helpful if somebody actually asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And then we'd be able to read that and go, that's why. So turn with me to chapter 13, verse 10. And it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? What a great question. Um, So what does Jesus say? Verses 11 to 17, let's just read it. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they see in your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not 
hear it. It's a bit cryptic, isn't it? There's a lot going on there just to, to understand. Um, it's referring back to Isaiah in verses 14 and 15. It's just, it's just a bit hard to grasp. Why does Jesus use parables? This is his answer. Um, I'm not sure what he's saying. So maybe I should just default back to what I heard in primary school, that parables were earthly stories with heavenly meanings. I'll just keep reading down to the chapter and I'll try and work out the next parable and see how I get on with that. And that's sometimes how we approach the Bible. Sometimes how we approach things like that. Um, it's just hard to invest time in working out what it means. Um, but that's what I want to do tonight. Just invest a little bit of time and try and understand what Jesus is referring to and what he means here. <clears throat> so, what Jesus says when he's asked about this parable, speaking in verse 11, he says this, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So, this just doesn't sound right here, because it's, it's almost saying that, is Jesus saying he doesn't want to tell people about heaven? And for us, in, in this country, that's probably the most evangelized country in Europe in the last hundred years, with churches nearly in every town, that's just hard to accept and understand. But we can't get away from the fact that it says it here in the text. But to them, it has not been given. The thing is, there will always be people who are blind and deaf and hard of heart because of verse 15. Notice what it says in the middle of verse 15. And their eyes they have closed. They've closed their eyes to the truth. That's part of what the parable is about. There's people that have closed their eyes to the truth. And that's the answer Jesus gave. Why, Why am I speaking in parables? But it's only part of the answer because Jesus also says he uses parables to reveal things hidden in Scripture. Those secrets hidden in the Old Testament that take time and effort to find now, you want to say hidden in the Old Testament. I'm not talking about some secret code or anything. It's hidden in plain sight. It's just we have to look for it. The reference in Isaiah there was, has always been in Isaiah. The people of Jesus' day knew it. The people of, who read Matthew's Gospel knew it. It was always there. But did we look for it? You see, the Gospel, the Kingdom of Heaven, is sweet to those who accept it, but a stench to those who hate it. That's not my line, but I thought it was very good. There were people in Jesus' day listening to him that hated the message he brought. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that there was people who didn't want to hear this. The gospel is sweet to those who accept it, but a stench to those who hate it. See, Jesus' parables were not meant to be understood by everyone. Here's another reason for the double meaning if you like, of a parable. You see, Jesus knew what he needed to accomplish in his life. He knew that from when he started proclaiming the good news, he was going to the cross. And he knew all the things he had to do before he got there. He had to do all this preaching. But he knew that one day he would not be able to preach anymore and he would need other people to preach, other people to carry on the message. And he started to speak to his disciples but all these crowds were following him and, and it's no wonder because 
was doing all these miracles. He was, he was healing people. Uh, he made the blind to see, the lame to walk, demons were cast out. And he was doing all this to demonstrate. He was demonstrating to his disciples who he was. So all these people were being healed. But the reason Jesus was doing it was he was demonstrating who he was. Because surely only God could do these things. And slowly the disciples realized, yes, only God can do these things. And this must be the Son of God. Slowly that realization came to the disciples. But Jesus just couldn't come on the scene and say, I'm the Son of God. I'm going to take all your sins and I'm going to deal with them in three hours and one day you're going to worship me. If he had said that, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they would have just they would have killed him. So let me explain this maybe another way. I'm not sure if you've ever played snooker. You Hopefully I get the idea of it, but you want to hit the red ball, but the blue ball is in the way. So I have to hit, I have to maybe take these other two shots and then I'll be able to get at that red ball and later on we'll get rid of the blue. So it's that idea of there's, ob- there's obstacles in the way, but eventually Jesus was able to sort it out. And that's what he was doing. He was playing the long game, if you like. He knew that he had to get to the black. And he had this plan laid out from the very start how he would do that. He had obstacles in his way. And the obstacles were usually the chief priests and the scribes. See, he had to teach his disciples for years so he, could, uh, he couldn't make out claims of who he was straight away or he would have been arrested. So he was guarded in what he said. He was guarded in, front of, in what he said in front of his enemies so that he had time to teach his disciples and demonstrate who he was. So Jesus used wisdom and discernment in his parables when talking openly so that he had time to train his students all they needed to know for when they no longer had him with them. And he'd done this using parables. So, Parables, if you like, harden hearts. That's what we've seen there in verse 13. And then parables also reveal hidden truths in verses 14 and 15. Truth that has always been there in the Old Testament. So just in case you think I've forgot about the parable uh, we started with, the one I'm supposed to be talking about, I haven't. The point I'm trying to make is the parable in its own is only half the story. To appreciate it fully, we need to hear it with the other violins, if you like, the other parables in the book. And we need to hear it within the orchestra of Matthew. I'm not sure if you recognize the differences in the Gospels, how they're written. Um, Matthew, the differences of Matthew and Mark. See, Matthew wrote his Gospel, his good news, to almost uh, all of a, an Israeli, a Jewish people background. That's why he has so many references. If you look at the references for the Old Testament in Matthew, or the text that ties back to the Old Testament, it's because he was writing it for those people. Those people that should have known what the prophets had spoken about. That's why, he, if you look at the start of Matthew, you'll see there's Jesus' family tree, if you like. He's wanting to show this Jesus, he's, he's in the line of David. He's a Davidic king, and he's trying to show them this is him. Look, or Matthew said to his readers, this is the one we have been waiting for. He's, he's the greater Moses. He's more than that, he's the Messiah. And he's trying to tell them, remember. Remember what the law spoke about. Remember what the psalmist was speaking about. Remember what the prophets were pointing towards. This is him. 
sometimes I was thinking today, and it reminded me a little bit about uh, a football commentator. And maybe if he was talking to some, say, maybe older Man U fans, Man U aren't having a great time at the minute. If there's any Man U fans here, I sympathise with you. Um, but it's like this football commentator, and he says to the older Man U fans, do you remember that time when, when Teddy Sheringham just flicked the ball on and Shoscar scored the winner in the European Cup final? Or do you remember that time when Cantona took the ball in his chest? Or that time when, when Sheffield Wednesday were 2-1 up and, and United scored? And, the, and he was one. It's like those people, if they remembered, they would go, yes, I do remember that. Or I remember reading about that. Matthew was trying to remind these people of what they already should have known. What was already in the Old Testament? But what response does Jesus get when he starts preaching? Flick back with me there to chapter 8. We're just going to walk through a few chapters here. You see, in chapter 8 we see that Jesus starts healing many people. Um, he calms a storm. He, he, he uh, removes demons from uh, two men. So things are going pretty good. People are coming from everywhere just to see this man, to see what he's doing. He's healing so many. But look at these people that he's healing. Um, you could say they're, they're a bit messed up. You know, a couple of guys were demon-possessed. There's people who are lame and sick and blind. And I think just to say something in relation to that that's sort of separate from my topic tonight, don't be tempted to just tell the nice people at school or work or who you play with or who you hang about with. Don't just be tempted to tell the nice people about Jesus. See, Jesus spoke to the guys who were messed up. He spoke to them. And sometimes they were more ready to listen. And sometimes for you and me, those are the guys who are maybe more ready to listen to who Jesus is. But Jesus is healing people. He's showing them the, the power of God's kingdom coming into the world. And then chapter 9, we see that that continues. And the last verse of chapter 9, a verse we are familiar with, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So how does chapter 10 start? It starts with this. And he called to himself 12 disciples and gave them authority to cast out unclean spirits, to preach to the people. So he was recognizing the need and then he was sending his disciples, the harvest laborers, if you like, to these people to continue on the work that he was doing. But he said to them, this isn't going to be easy. He said to them, this is a bit like me sending you as sheep into a, a pack of wolves. It's going to be tough. And then speaking of wolves, we go to chapter 12. And who do we see? Verse 2 in chapter 12. It says, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look what your disciples are doing. That's not lawful. These Pharisees, they started to crank up the pressure on Jesus. Verse 10, they wanted to accuse him. Verse 14, they wanted to destroy him. Verse 24, they're starting to say he's from the devil. Verse 38, they're saying, prove who you are. You see, these Pharisees had the truth in their scriptures but they closed their eyes to it. Chapter 13, where we started off, chapter 13, verse 15, um, it says that their eyes they have closed. Therefore, Jesus used parables both to invite people to see what God was doing, but also hiding it from his enemies so he would have more time to prepare his closest followers. 
In all that Jesus did, he was always driving people to a decision. Will you accept me? Will you ignore me? Will you reject me? So what is a parable? Parables are a challenge to the listener. And Matthew shows us the response that they received, both good and bad. And it's the same today. We are told again and again, some will accept and some will reject. And we don't get to choose. So parables in themselves, this parable you looked at is a great little nugget, a great little nugget, but it's not the whole meal. Jesus used parables to reveal truth to those willing to hear it, but hid it from those who refused to hear. And we see here that Matthew pulls them all together in like an orchestra to show the depth and beauty of the fulfillment of Scripture in Jesus Christ. So back to our peculiar parable. Here's my take on verses 45 and 46. Jesus was showing that the kingdom of heaven was worth far more than everything else. The kingdom of heaven was worth far more than everything else. Look at the verse again. It starts with again. Because Jesus was talking about in parables. He was talking about it in different ways. And it's almost, I'm sure you've heard the illustration of a diamond explaining the gospel. Jesus is holding this diamond up and he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he turns it around a bit and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's provoking his hearers' imagination and looking for them to respond. Again, he was provoking their hearts to capture the sheer joy of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And why did Jesus use this term, the kingdom of heaven? He uses it quite a bit in his parables. The one before he used it, he used it in this one and other ones. See, the people were expecting a king. For generations and generations and generations, they were waiting for a king to come and rescue them from the oppressive nations that they lived in. They were wanting this king to come and just slay the enemies. They were wanting the king to come and just take over and, and recapture this kingdom that they owned. And that's why Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven. It is a kingdom, but it's not the kingdom that they were expecting. It's not the kingdom they were waiting on or hoping for, but it was a kingdom. And his kingdom did come in his person, and his kingdom is still coming today. But he uses this short story, and he uses the term a, mer a merchant. I'm not sure how it's translated in different uh, versions of the Bible, but this idea of a man who's like a wholesale traveling tradesman who spends his life in search of finding these great pearls, things that are valuable, and then he finds this one pearl. It's not just like one that he'll add to his collection. He realizes there's a cost, but he's so captivated by it. And when he considers the cost, he has to sell everything to get this pearl. He's willing to do it. He's willing to give everything for it. And this story that Jesus used is supposed to stir the hearts of his listeners. It's supposed to make them think, that sounds amazing. It's supposed to stir our hearts too. And when we think, what could cause us to give up everything for something so precious? It's almost too much to think about, isn't it? What would you give up everything for? See this story of this merchant. This merchant was all in. 
he gave everything he had. I think this merchant is the person who spends his or her life looking for the next thing to satisfy and then realizes that it's the kingdom of heaven. That's what will satisfy me. And it's worth losing everything else for. But where is our heart when we read this? When we read this parable, we see this merchant who is so captivated by this one great pearl. Where's our heart? Do you close your eyes like some did to the truth? Are you willing to see and hear the coming of the king and give it all up for him? You see, the gospel is sweet to those who accept, but is a stench to those who hate it. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I hope you're wrestling with something because it's a sign of growth in the Christian life. Maybe it's that initial call of the gospel. Maybe you haven't accepted it yet, but Christ died for you. Surely that is enough. Or maybe you're facing pressures of, in school or pressures online. You don't want to give up on something, but this great pearl just isn't enough. I, I want the great pearl and I, I want the sin that I have, but let this parable capture your imagination. There is a cost, but it's more than worth it. So in closing, I just want to leave a couple of things with you, generally in parables and particularly in this one. When you study the Bible and you see how God has put all this together, this little two-verse story in the middle of the other parables in Matthew, in the whole context of the Bible, God's whole story of redemption, may that stir your heart to what God has done. And may you worship God with all your heart. And there's also humility here. We're not worthy to be seeing these amazing truths. We're not worthy to understand this. And yet God in his grace has opened our eyes to the truth. Praise God for his grace in your life. And as we share the gospel with others, as we talk to our friends or people we spend time with, be bold. This shows us, and we're told time and time and again, People will accept the gospel and people will reject the gospel. That's what we're told. And when we accept that and realize that, that salvation is of God, our role is to tell it. And that's what Jesus did here. He spoke the truth. Whether it was the Pharisees or his followers, he spoke the truth. So know that we are, as we declare the gospel message, some will accept and some will reject. But use wisdom the way Jesus did the way we see him using these parables. The gospel is sweet to those who accept, but a stench to those who hate it. I hope this short, peculiar parable stirs your heart to worship God, stirs your heart to praise him, and helps you to tell others about his kingdom. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this little parable, Lord. We thank you that this is how Jesus chose to uh, talk to others about his kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you were willing to come into this world. You were willing to show others what your kingdom really looked like. You invested time in your disciples and you sent them out into the world to proclaim your good news. And Lord, all of this was prepared 
beforehand in the Old Testament where it all pointed towards you, your kingdom, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we have it all in this one book. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to study your word. Stir our hearts to uh, live this word, Lord. That it would change our hearts and our minds and our lives, Lord. We pray for each one here this evening, Lord, that you would stir their hearts. Bless them as they go into this world, Lord. Bless them as they live their lives before you, Lord. And may they live their lives in the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.